When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, and welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's really great to have you here. As you know, this is a podcast that's been kind of evolving here uh, about uh, botanical-style aquariums, blackwater aquariums, brackish aquariums, all sorts of specialized aquariums and approaches towards more natural um, aquariums in general. Hope you've enjoyed some of the topics we've addressed so far, and uh, always enjoy your suggestions on uh, upcoming themes and topics here. Uh, one of the things that I'm consistently asked in both email, direct messaging, and even in my personal appearances I've made at um, clubs and shows uh, is a little more in-depth discussion about the husbandry and the processes and the um, long-term maintenance of botanical-style aquariums. And I thought, you know, this would make the basis for a good blog and a decent podcast. So it's something we'll talk about today. We're just starting the conversation and there's much more to it, obviously, than we can cover even in one installment or one podcast. But, you know, it's something that we, we need to cover more and more. We've talked so much about the idea of establishing a botanical style aquarium, you know, blackwater, brackish or otherwise, from both a conceptual and a procedural standpoint that it's probably no longer a romantic and mysterious thing like it was only a few years ago. To many of us, it's become part of our aquarium hobby repertoire, if you will, you know, a knowledge and a skill set that we incorporate into our broader hobby experiences. Yet, I don't think I've probably talked all that much about the long-term maintenance and husbandry of these systems, and it's definitely a huge part of the game, right? Yeah, it is. So, you know, let's kind of jumpstart that discussion with a, with a, some some ideas here. You know, as we talked about many times before for the longest time there was this sort of perception among the mainstream hobby that blackwater aquariums were this delicate tricky to maintain thing fraught with potential disaster you know a soft water acidic environment which could slip precipitously into some sort of environmental freefall in armageddon without any warning and then there was that thing about dark brown water and not only was the tinted water considering you know, considered the whole distinction between these types of aquariums and other types of aquariums. It was also a cause for fear, misunderstanding, and myths. Now, happily, this perception seems to be eroding, and um, a new generation of aquarists, and that's, be, that's you guys, has sort of taken the torch and ran with it, and taking a slightly different approach and a vastly different attitude. And you're perfecting the techniques required to maintain blackwater botanical-style aquariums for the long term. And the long term is where my interest lies. It's not about setting up an aquarium for a show or a day or a contest or whatever. It's about long term. Uh, now, the longest I've personally maintained a blackwater botanical style aquarium, it's been about five and a half years for one tank. And the only reason I broke that aquarium down was because I was doing a home remodel that required I relocate the aquarium and had to remove everything from the space. Uh, so that was kind of a bummer. Uh, I did set it up again shortly after the work was completed, but the reality is I could have kept this tank going probably indefinitely. 
Now, as most of you who work with these aquariums know, the key to long-term success uh, with them is to go slowly, deploying massive amounts of patience, common sense, husbandry, monitoring of the environmental parameters, and then careful stocking management. Not really much different than what you'd do to maintain any type of aquarium successfully over the long haul, right? Yeah, real news flash there, huh? So it all starts with the way these tanks run in, and that'll sort of set the tone for the long-term care and maintenance involved. First off, one of the things that we all experience with these types of systems is an initial burst of tannins, an initial burst of the, the color, the tint, that, you know, if you're not using activated carbon or some other type of filtration media, this tint, this coloration might be more pronounced and last likely a little longer than if you're actively removing it with these materials. And of course, if you use too much carbon, too much chemical filtration media, you'll be one of those people that emails me with a starting line like, hey, I, I added an entire package of catapa leaves and my water is barely tinted. And so there's no guarantees that you're going to get this dark, deep Amazon colored tint that we seem to have in our tanks and we feature in our aquariums. It's about the combination of materials you use, the filtration, probably the water chemistry, uh, and, and any number of factors that could affect it. For, for the most part, these are some things you see. You might also experience a bit of initial cloudiness or turbidity. Now, this could be either a physical dust or other materials, you know, released from the tissues of the botanicals or even a burst of bacteria or microorganisms. I'm not really sure, but it generally passes quickly with minimal, if any, intervention on your part. And when I say quickly, I mean a matter of a few days. Again, double down on patience with just about everything. I get a lot of emails where somebody is experiencing some kind of an issue and they want to do an immediate fix and blah, 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 blah. And for whatever reason, they may not do it immediately and two days later, sometimes even sooner before I even get a chance to respond, I'll get a, oh, you know, I woke up this morning, the water was clear. I think in, we're so adjusted to things being a certain way that if they deviate slightly, we kind of tend to freak out and want to do an immediate, you know, fix. Um, and so, you know, not everybody experiences this, but this is a kind of a phenomenon that seems to happen in brand new tanks, but it does happen from time to time. And we've talked about it in our written blog, The Tint. Uh, we've talked about, you'll occasionally get a burst of cloudiness. I'm not sure exactly what it could be. It might not even be directly attributable to the presence of the botanicals. In a new tank, it might even be the sand or dust or dirt from the hardscape materials or whatever. Uh, but from time to time, you'll experience these things. I do this. I see this in my brackish water aquarium uh, in the office quite a bit. Like once a month, it'll go through this sort of weird cycle where the water might get a little bit cloudy for a day or two, and then it just clears spontaneously. A lot of times it's after a water change, and I don't know if that's because of the, a lot of the silt that gets stirred up that's in the substrate. Um, the fishes in there tend to dig. These orange chromide cichlids tend to dig a little bit. So they're constantly putting stuff in the solution. It's just one of those things we have to accept. And the reality is that in a tank with lots of botanical materials, the water may not always be crystal clear. I mean, sure, it'll be clear, as in you can see across the tank, but it might have a sort of soupy look to it. And this is, you know, for the very reasons stated above, mental shifts are required. We have to understand that this is not your typical white, blue-white, you know, uh, nature aquarium. I'm sorry to pick on you guys. Uh, perception of, of what a tank should be. So that being said, what happens next? What happens over the long term? Well, typically, as most of you have played with this stuff know by now, the botanicals will begin to soften and break down over a period of usually several weeks. Botanical materials are the very definition of the word ephemeral. Nothing lasts forever, and botanicals are absolutely no exception. Now, 
pretty much everything that we use the wood the from the the, the guava leaves the the you know uh, bark all that kind of stuff is um, starts to soften and break down over time most of these materials should be viewed as consumables in that you'll need to replace them over time they, they simply don't last forever uh, even the materials like melastoma root which I use in my Tucanicthes tucano habitat uh, to great you know effect uh, start breaking down over time that's just what happens when things are terrestrial materials are submerged in water so um and as we've discussed kind of ad nauseum here you have the option to leave these materials in as they break down or remove them you know whatever your aesthetic sensibilities tell you to do uh, many of you have been leaving your botanicals until in the tank until they're completely decomposed and you're sort of utilizing them as almost a botanical mulch, particularly in planted aquariums. We've talked about this many times and you've reported excellent results. And I think as we work more and more on substrates, we're going to probably see more and more hobbyists leaving the materials into fully decompose. Again, it, it's all up to you. And sure, botanicals will go through that biofilm phase. Um, we've talked about that before. We'll probably put one of those old blogs up in podcast form to, because a lot of you have asked about it. Um, so we'll talk about biofilm in the future again, but we've talked about it numerous times. If you could search our, our written blog, you'll find at least six or eight articles over the last few years on that and maybe even more. Now, you'll have many opportunities to remove these biofilms or in the case of most hobbyists these days, you simply add materials as the old ones break down and, and then the biofilm starts dissipating. So this is kind of analogous to what happens in nature, kind of analogous to natural leaf drop. Now, the idea of leaving stuff in always seems to get people riled up. Let me just make it clear, uh, and I'm talking from personal experience now, I have never had any negative side effects that we could attribute to leaving botanicals to completely break down in an otherwise healthy, well-managed aquarium. Many, many users, present company included, see no detectable increases in nitrate or phosphate as a result of this practice. And nitrate and phosphate are some of the biological yardsticks we use for measuring water quality in our aquariums. Um, you know, of course, this has prompted me to postulate that perhaps they perform a sort of a natural biological filtration media role and actually foster some denitrification, etc., etc. Now, I have no scientific evidence to back up this theory, of course, like most of my theories, because I'm not a scientist, but practical experience tells me there may be some something to it. There may be a grain of truth here. Oh, and speaking of grains, one of the bummers, I guess you will call it, of botanical style aquarium keeping is that you will likely have to clean and replace your pre-filters, your sponges, your micron socks, and your filter pads more frequently. Just like in nature, as the botanicals, leaves in particular, break down, You'll see some of the material suspended in the water column from time to time, and the bits and pieces which get pulled into your filter will definitely, you know, slow them down, slow down the flow over time. So the best solution, in my humble opinion, is to change these pre-filters frequently and to clean your pumps, your power heads, even your glassware and your, you know, your, your intakes uh, as part of your weekly maintenance regimen. And of course, this is the elegant segue into that part about your weekly maintenance regimen, right? Well, here's my thought on this. Do whatever floats your boat, as they say. If you're a bi-weekly type of tank maintenance person, do that. If you're a once-a-month kind of person, well, you know, you might want to re-examine that. Botanical-style blackwater aquariums 
although remarkably stable once they're up and running, really are not true set and forget systems. In fact, I don't think really any tank is. I think that's kind of a misnomer. If you're looking for an easy time, uh, not having to ever maintain the tank, not having to observe it, I, I don't think there is such a thing, but Blackwater Aquariums and botanical style aquariums in general are certainly not that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, you'll want to take at least a weekly or maybe a bi-weekly general assessment on the performance of your tank and its overall condition. Now, far be it from me to tell you, the experienced aquarist, how to run your tanks. However, I'm just sort of giving you a broad-based recommendation based on my experiences, <clears throat> excuse me, and those of many others over the years with these types of systems. You need to decide what works best for you and your animals. Now, remember, you're dealing with a tank filled with decomposing botanical materials. Good overall husbandry is necessary. It's essential to keep your tank stable and healthy. And that includes the dreaded, dun, 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 by many of you, water exchanges. As we pointed out, at the very least, you'll likely be cleaning and replacing pre-filter media as part of your weekly routine. Just goes with the territory here, but water changes are super important. <clears throat> and excuse me again, rough, rough uh, throat sometimes in the morning here. Sorry about that. Uh, during water exchanges, I'll typically siphon out any debris uh, debris which have lodged, you know, where I don't want them, like in the leaves of that plant or whatever up front. Um, but for the most part, I'm merely siphoning water from down low in the water column. I'm the kind of leave them alone as they decompose kind of guy. And I'm not going to go into all the nuances of water preparation, etc. In, in this particular piece. I use straight up non-remineralized RODI water and have for decades in my tanks. And I know that freaks a lot of people out. A lot of people say you've got to remineralize you got to do look this is what i've done your mileage may vary this has worked for me and my husbandry you might have a different approach and that's cool you likely have your ways they work for you if you want to hear my method sometimes we'll, we'll talk about that later or dm me on facebook or whatever and we can discuss it it's not really rocket science or anything i don't have any magic thing i'm literally going to tell you the simple things i do they work and that's that's good enough everyone has their own techniques and of course Regular water testing is also pretty important. And it's not just for the information that you're going to get about your aquarium and its trends. It's important because we, as proponents of these natural style botanical aquariums, need to log and share information about our systems. So collectively that we can develop a model for baseline performance characteristics and expectations about these systems. Perhaps we can even develop standards for techniques, practices, and expectations about these tanks. That's really important in taking this from an obscure specialty to a full-fledged movement and a, a concept for aquariums. Now, with so many people worldwide starting to play seriously with black water botanical style tanks, we're seeing more and more of these common trends, issues, and ways to manage them. This is a necessary evolution and we can all contribute to this. So please share your results. Now, your testing regimen should include things like pH, TDS, alkalinity, and if you're so inclined, nitrate and phosphate. Again, logging this information over time is going to give us all some good ideas and some good data uh, upon which to develop our expectations and those best practices for water quality management. And a little hot tip for you, spend the extra money and invest in digital testing equipment when you can. Yeah, I know that you know digital pH meters and digital TDS meters and all that stuff are more expensive than the test kits using liquid reagents. But with our tinted water, a lot of you won't find yourself struggling to interpret the results. And a lot of people are operating in lower pH ranges than a lot of the liquid test kits can measure. Uh, and again, with that tinted water, sometimes it's hard to interpret the results. And 
they're usually quite a bit more accurate than liquid reagent test kits too. There's no chemicals to degrade over time in storage or to run out of, just batteries that need to be changed very infrequently. And of course, you'll need to calibrate these things periodically, which although, you know, is kind of a pain for some people, it's really not that hard and it makes sense. So in the end, they're a really good long-term investment for your hobby. And if you're going to get serious about playing with these tanks, start collecting, you know, digital pH meters, digital TES meters, even a digital refractometer if you're the brackish tank type, but it's good stuff to have. Now, the purpose of testing, understanding what's going on, expecting the biofilms, the decomposition, etc. It's only part of the process, part of that mental shift that we talk about so much. The rest is good old observation of your animals and their reactions, their behaviors, and their overall health. How are they eating? How are they coloring up? How are they behaving? Have you noticed any changes, positive or negative, since starting your little blackwater adventure? Are your fishes spawning? Have they been spawning and then just suddenly stopped spawning? Uh, have, you know, have they started dying? <laughs> What's going on? I mean, shit, it's that basic. And that important. In the end, living with your botanical-style aquarium isn't just about a new aesthetic approach. This is where I think, the, again, the mainstream aquarium media, boy, I sound political, don't I, gets it all wrong and really short-sells this stuff. It's not just about this cool look. It's about understanding and processing what's happening in this little aquatic ecosystem that you've created. It's about understanding the nuances and the differences between this and the so-called clear water aquariums that we're accustomed to. It's about asking questions, modifying technique, and yeah, playing hunches. These are all skills that we as hobbyists have practiced for generations. When you distill it all, we're still just keeping an aquarium, but one that I feel is far more natural, dynamic, and potentially game-changing for the hobby, and one that we no longer need to be afraid of. And part of losing that fear is developing consistency and understanding what to expect over the long term, as we've outlined above, and yeah, one of the most important behavioral characteristics I think we can have in this hobby beside patience is consistency. Like doing the same thing on a regular, consistent basis. Duh. <laughs> it's not that, you know, revolutionary. It's not the uh, 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 stop the presses moment. But it's very foundational. It's a foundational practice or principle, isn't it? If you're trying to create and maintain a consistent set of environmental conditions, it's pretty damn important. Do the same things over again. Real hard concept, right? And we receive a lot of emails from hobbyists who ask us, you know, how to keep their blackwater tanks consistent. And it's usually in, revol in regards to the visual tint, but likely the environmental parameters as well. I hope so. Sure, this may seem almost ridiculously intuitive to most hobbyists, but it's such a common concern with hobbyists that I can't help but consider that we might be overthinking things just a bit. I mean, environmental consistency, it's not too difficult to achieve, even in an aquarium with lots of leaves and botanicals and stuff. You just have to remember a few things. As we've discussed for years, in fact, we've discussed it in this podcast already, botanicals are ephemeral in nature, and they tend to break down and decompose over time after submersion. So in order to maintain the consistency and the stability of the environment, we need to replenish and replace them regularly. The act of replacing the decomposing leaves and botanicals not only mimics the processes which happen in nature, like, you know, new, new materials being deposited into waters, but it serves to continually refresh or perpetuate the conditions that exist within the aquarium. It's a sort of mandatory husbandry process that just happens to be the best way to maintain any type of aquarium for the long term, doing the same things over and over again. Fortunately, in the case of botanical materials, they're now more easily available to hobbyists than in years past. In fact, I know this place online, but no, I'm not going to go there. 
Interestingly, in nature, many leaf litter bed accumulations in Amazonian streams, for example, have been monitored for long periods of time, years. And they've become sort of regular, almost geographic features of the streams in which they reside, influencing not only the physical structure of the streams, but the flow rates, the dissolved oxygen levels, and other chemical parameters. And of course, the fish population in, in both composition and in numbers as well. Much like in nature, the way you maintain botanicals in your system can influence these things too. That's why I feel that the botanical style blackwater aquarium is very similar to like a reef aquarium or a heavily planted aquarium in that respect. There's a continuous and sort of dynamic evolution, if you will, that occurs, you know, throughout the existence of these tanks. And the direction that it goes is absolutely influenced by the degree to which we as hobbyists are involved. Sort of more holistic approach is, is warranted. So to summarize kind of where we're at, and here's a, here's a sort of a top seven list I developed of maintenance considerations for botanical style aquariums. First off, start slowly, gradually building up the quantities of botanical materials over a period of weeks or months until you reach a level that you like aesthetically and which provides the type of manageable environmental parameters that you're comfortable with. Number two, employ basic common sense husbandry protocols like weekly small water changes, careful feeding, use and replacement of chemical filtration media, etc. Number three, stock your aquarium with fishes gradually over months, preferably with smaller fishes that can grow with the aquarium and produce less metabolic waste during the critical first few months that your tank's established. This is common sense, right? It's stuff we've done for years. Number four, regularly monitor your basic water parameters, particularly over the first couple of months to establish a sort of baseline of how your aquarium functions and runs chemically and just continue this practice throughout the lifetime of your aquarium. Number five, regularly remove and or replace decomposing botanicals or not, depending on your preference, you know, but keep that same visual tint and more important, the consistent parameters, TDS, pH, whatever you tend to monitor. Number six, note any trends or deviation from your baseline over time and adjust as needed to stay within a fairly tight range. Notice I didn't say lock in on any numbers, don't chase specifics like we have done for you know decades in the reef aquarium and that led a lot of people to a lot of frustration and a lot of failure. Don't get romanced with numbers, you know, do what works for your fishes, for your tank, observe. Number seven, stay calm above all. Move slowly and make your adjustments to your system with finesse. Don't make these knee-jerk adjustments as I talked about at the beginning of this podcast. Quick fixes don't always fix things. A lot of times they actually disrupt the natural cycles that we've kind of wanted to establish. Your tank has a sort of a cadence, an operating system, if you will. And when you start messing with it too, too much, you disrupt that. and You're constantly forcing your tank to sort of reboot or reset itself. So sometimes the best course of action, believe it or not, is to do nothing. Sometimes the best course of action when the water goes cloudy for some reason is to sort of stop and don't panic. Look at why it is. Is it because something died? Is it because you've been overfeeding? Likely not, but if that's not the case, what is it? It's probably the botanicals are breaking down. It might be somebody's digging in the substrate. Lots of reasons and lots of questions that you can ask yourself before you start jumping into some course of correction that might necessarily might not necessarily be, you know, the right the right move so think act and you know be calm in general stay diligent stay thoughtful stay engaged stay methodical and by all means stay consistent and of course always stay wet 
So that's it for today. Um, we'll definitely keep discussing this topic more and more as the months and years go by, but I thought this would be a nice little uh, touch uh, on the, uh, the topic of long-term maintenance and consistency. So I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm sure you have some suggestions, some comments, some questions, some observations. Feel free to share them with me uh, either by email, tenantaquatics at gmail.com, or you can share, hit us up on uh, Facebook or Instagram, and uh, we're always happy to hear from you. Thanks again for all your suggestions, all your support, and um, looking forward to cranking out more of these podcasts for you in the future. Have yourself a great day. Play with your tanks. Do those water changes. And just above all, enjoy and share. Thanks again. It's Scott Feldman. I'll talk to you real soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.